I'm TJ Manisterski, and this is my Coaching Project podcast, where I connect with leaders in search of breakthrough knowledge. Breakthrough knowledge challenges the status quo, changes your opinion, or fundamentally opens your eyes in a way there is no turning back. Today, I get the chance to talk about an incredibly important topic, mental health, with Mark Wick, a college hockey coaching veteran for over 30 years at Augsburg College, St. Scholastica, and Wisconsin Superior. As impressive as his commitment to college athletes has been in his career, what he is doing now to create awareness about mental health and helping guide athletes and coaches alike to improve their mental health will be, in my estimation, his legacy. Mark, thank you for joining me. Well, TJ, thanks for having me on. And uh, really, thanks for having this conversation. You know, it's people like you that can spread the word. And the more we talk about this, the more we talk about mental health, the more we normalize mental health. So thank you so much for um, being willing to talk about this topic. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to jump right into you gave a talk at the American Hockey Coaches Association convention a couple of years ago on this topic. And you told a story that was so powerful that that's been like, we were talking offline before it's just been burned into my brain. And I think it's just a great place to start. So if you're feeling comfortable, I'd love for you to tell your story. Well, absolutely. You know, this story is not about, I'm not a professional mental health person. I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a therapist, a counselor. I don't talk to diagnose people or treat people. I just share my story about um, about me because I'm a person that lives with mental illness. I live with depression and anxiety. And that's nothing I would have told you five years ago or 10 years ago. Not, not that I didn't have it, but I didn't want to have it. And you couldn't prove that I had it, right? What are you going to do, a blood test? You know, I'll take an x-ray, an MRI. None of that shows up. And I've had, I've had mental illness for a long time. And my wife tried to tell me that for a long time, but you know, she didn't get it. Right. The wife, you know, she, uh, she's a nurse, you know, smartest person, successful, but she didn't understand what I was going through. Okay. In our profession, um, we're very cut and dry, black and white. You know, the things we do show up right away. I can go Friday night and see how somebody did Saturday night. And in Duluth, where I was the head coach at Glasgow from 2004 to 18, um, you know, we, we got a lot of press and stuff was in the paper. And, and people would see, and, and I was well-connected in the community. And if we won Friday night, people would think I was a good coach. If we lost, they were going to know I wasn't. And I, I could get fired. And, and it's very public. You know, we win or we lose. Sometimes we draw, you know. And, and, and this is for all coaches. We all live through this. You do the same thing, right? How did you do last year? In your town, how many tax returns did the accountant do? I don't know, you know, but I can tell you how you did last year. You were 17, six and three, right? Like, like we, we can find that information. It's very public. And to me, that put a lot of pressure on me. So my wife didn't understand it, but at the same time, I didn't understand a lot about mental illness. I didn't, I didn't really know what depression looked like. I had my perception of it. You know, people crying all the time or, you know, sitting in dark rooms and stuff like that. The stuff I did wasn't depression, okay? The stuff I did was competitiveness, okay? Um, you know, certain things like, you know, if you look at the signs, well, you know, withdrawn. Well, my wife might come home from work and say, hey, we're going out with some friends. You want to come with? No. You know, not, not that I was depressed. We spent all day around college kids. I wanted to get up, be by myself for a while, you know, or... I would sleep too much or too little. Well, I might be on a, a six-day recruiting trip, drive 3,000 miles. I come home, I'm tired. 
I want to sleep. Not that I'm depressed. Or sometimes I won't sleep, you know? And you've seen our power play, you went to sleep either. So <laughs> I, I could justify everything that happened. And we're in a business where we got away with a lot of that stuff. Like I said, my wife's a nurse. If she's sitting at the nurse's station and the doctor walks in and she looks at a, a patient pro, uh, file and looks at the doc and says, this is a diagnosis you came up with? Where did you go to med school? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Then maybe threw the file at him and said, how are you allowed to see patients? Like, what would happen to my wife? She'd be fired. She'd be escorted out. I liked every now and then to help refs because sometimes they might have missed calls. So I just want to help them out. So... You know, I, I might give them, you know, what I saw and give them a piece of my mind and maybe be, be very animated and maybe, um, you know, drop a profanity and, and scream. And what would happen to me? Generally, people would cheer, right? I mean, they, they love that. I, I've never been to a hockey game and, and a fight breaks out and the people in front of me lean over to each other and say, oh, that those guys got mental illness. See, it was part of the game. It was part of our culture. The things I was doing, other coaches were doing. So. I, I, I didn't, it wasn't mental illness. It was our culture. It was my competitiveness and all that type of stuff. That's what I told myself. And, and, and I, and I showed it different to other people. You know, other people saw me outside of the arena as this nice guy, all this type of stuff. Well, the 2014-15 season um, was a rough one. You know, and as I look back, it was, you know, worse than the year before, which was worse than the year before. It all ramped up. But there were two instances that happened in the 2014-15 season um, that, that really brought it to light, you know, as I look back. Uh, number one was uh, when we were in Oswego. We are playing in the Oswego tournament in January of 2015. And uh, I'm great friends with Eddie Gozik, so I was really looking forward to the tournament. The plan was we're going to go out there, we're going to win Friday night, we're going to play them in the championship game Saturday. You know, great environment. And then Sunday the team's going to New York City to spend the day in New York City. It's going to be a great trip. Friday night we lose, and and I lost it that night on the guys, and, and and I was upset, and I remember walking out in the parking lot and hardly being able to breathe, and just thinking I can't I can't do this, you know I I can't do this, you know the team deserves better, um, I'm a terrible coach, you know, but in addition to that I'm a terrible husband, and my kids man did they draw the short straw, all these thoughts are going through my head and I'm crying and I can hardly breathe. I had to pull it back together, and I, and I go back in the rink, and um, the game ends, and I tell the team to go and eat, and I'm just going to walk back to the hotel. And as you know, I mean, you know, so you go where the rink is and where our hotel was was about a three-mile walk in upstate New York, January 2nd. So it wasn't beautiful out, right? Um, and I just had my suit on and, you know, jacket. And I remember walking back, and, and our hotel was right on the other side of the Oswego River. And when I got on the bridge that night, I stopped, and for the first time, the best thing that happened that night, the best thing that could happen for my team, my wife, my kids, was if I just jumped. If I ended it, everybody would be better off without me. And I stood on that bridge for I don't know how long. And obviously, I didn't jump, but not because it was a bad idea, because it wasn't the right time. You know, if we'd have been closer to Duluth, I don't know what would have happened. And, you know, so, so I didn't. I didn't want to have the problems of my wife getting my body back, all that stuff. So now wasn't the time. So it ended. We get back. January comes and goes. In the end of January, I had another incident. Um, at the end of a game, we lost. And I went after the other coach on the ice. There was a little incident. 
and I went back after they got us separated. I went back in my office and I sat in my office nearly paralyzed. Um, I, I couldn't move. And Jackie McMillan, our women's coach, was in there along with the assistant coaches, radio guys and stuff. She left and she waited till everybody else left and she stuck around. She called my wife in the meantime and said, hey, you got to get over here. Something's going on with Mark. And she waited till everybody She said, Mark, what's going on? And as we started to talk, my wife walked in and said, that's it. We're done with this. We're going to deal with this right now. And I couldn't argue because I had become non-functional at the time. Basically, I, I couldn't control what I was doing um, and all that. And I couldn't argue. So I took a leap from the team and, and got help at that point. And I, I will say this. If Jackie hadn't come in that room, I don't know if I'd be here today. Because it would have been a normal Saturday night. We lost. I'd have gone home at three in the morning. Everybody would have been asleep. I'd have been asleep. You know, the off season would have come. It was towards the end of the season. You know, then I recharged. Then things were better. You know, it was so cyclical during the season where it got so bad. Um, but I didn't. I left the team. My wife got me in to see somebody. I got on medications. I saw a therapist. And everything's changed since then. You know, so I, I said at that time, um, I've had a few losses in my time but that was the best loss I ever had. Because if I hadn't lost that night, again, I don't think I'd be here today because I would have continued to hide it. And, and if you know anybody with um, a mental illness, we want to hide it. You know, how many times have you seen, heard of somebody who's died by suicide and people will say, I would have never guessed. You know, one of the first comments made by our volleyball coach who was the first person I talked to a week after the incident because I isolated, she said, Mark, I've known you for 20 years. And I would have never guessed you had depression. And I said, I know, that's what we do. We hide it. But when she said that to me, it was like a thousand pound weight lifted off my back. And I didn't have to hide it anymore. And it is what it is, you know? So I struggled for 30 years with that. And my thing now is, is I don't want people to have to do that. I don't want to have people have to put that mask on, put that front on like there's somebody else. And, um, because sometimes if they do that, the consequences can be fatal. So, you know, my point now is, is hey, I want to talk about this. I want to get this out there because I remember saying to my wife that this is career suicide. I'll never get another job because of the way people view mental illness and that type of stuff. And um, there are people that still, you know, it is a stigma, but I think it's because of lack of education. So people like yourself, TJ, that do these, that get the word out there, this is what can help change it when we really look at what it looks like, because it's not just people crying. In men, it can be anger, irritability, outbreaks, you know? And, and when I saw the real symptoms of depression with my therapist, I was like, man, that screams me. You know, that wasn't my perception, but, but I was uneducated because I wasn't willing to be educated because then I might have to face it. And I didn't want to have it because of, you know, my thoughts of it and, and the stigmas associated with it. So that's where I come from. It just is somebody who's lived it and somebody who is still living it. And, you know, I'm in a much better place. Doesn't mean I don't have bad days. Doesn't mean that there's still not challenges, but now I know how to deal with them better. And, and I can be honest about them. I don't have to make up stories. I don't have to make excuses. I don't have to justify why I feel the way I do. I just say, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad week. I'm just going to be by myself or I'm going to take care of this myself. So so that's where I come from on this. It's the, um, as, as a person that just lives with it. 
and, and if I can help people out and if it resonates with people and they're willing to, to seek out the help, that's all I want is to normalize this. Well, I can tell you, it's been a few years since I heard you tell that story the first time and it's impacted me today the same way it did then. Uh, I appreciate you sharing and it's powerful. And I think a, a big part of it is that I can totally relate to some things in your story. The first one, having played in Oswego and I know that town and I can, I know that walk and I, and I know that weather and I know that bridge and I know that river. So I can visualize that. Uh, but the other parts of that is just those feelings as a coach, you know, the, the, the pressure to win, to not be a failure, uh, those things are real. And it's like when we lose a game, you know, I can't sleep that night. Right. And when you win a game, it's like you're happy, but it's, and we've talked about this is more relief than, than pleasure. And, and you, and the best thing I can tell you about that is that I could sleep. So 17, six and three, you referenced our record. So we, we won a lot more than we lost. Like I slept pretty good last year. That was pretty, that was pretty good. But, yep. uh, you know, there was, there was a season where, where we didn't. And, and now I remember looking back on that, how hard it was to sleep. And, and uh, so that's a really interesting thing. And I think the other thing I'd like to talk to you about along these lines is just how, you know, we as coaches understand a lot about what our players should be doing, how they take care of their bodies, nutrition, strength and conditioning, sleep, uh, all those different things that we do to prepare our players to perform at a high level. I don't think enough coaches view themselves as, uh, perf you know, high performers. So an example I'd give you is that we as coaches, our, our job is to make quality decisions on game time quickly in a, in a chaotic environment under the fog of war and to prepare well, what do so many coaches do on Friday night? They stay up till the middle of the night or later watching video, trying to find that extra little edge. And then they want to get up early the next day and have a meeting to talk about it all. So you're going on very little sleep. And uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just, you know what? Put the video down, go to bed. <laughs> have a good night's sleep. Get up and, and, and re-attack things, right? So... Uh, what, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I think that, that that's an excellent point. You know, we'll talk about your 17, six and three and not sleeping. Did you enjoy the wins as much as you agonized in the losses? Cause we generally, when we win, it's that relief or it's like, okay, that was Friday night. We won. We got to do it Saturday. We got to put that behind us. When we lose Friday night, we agonize over it and we watch the film. What are we going to do to change this? So we don't, a lot of coaches, you know, myself, but I've talked to other coaches, you know, especially as the head coach, like we, we don't enjoy that part because we're so motivated to do it again. And if it doesn't happen, we got to fix it. Even if you sweep the weekend, well, we better do it next weekend, you know, or if we get beat twice, oh man, we got to stop the bleeding, you know? And, and I think so many times as coaches, and that's when I talk to the coaching body in Florida and stuff, as coaches, we want to know about mental health. How can we serve our players better? How can we be better for our players? Well, number one, we have to be better to ourselves. And if we don't take care of ourselves, because we're not immune to this. 
You know, the one thing I've learned about mental illness is it does not discriminate. Young, old, rich, poor, male, female, white, black, it, it, it doesn't matter that if, if we don't get sleep, if we constantly are going, if, if we're, you know, we have to have seven cups of coffee so we can stay up late to, to watch these film sessions. And then what happens during the season is things get busy. We neglect ourselves. We, we don't find time to get that workout in because we got to get practice planned. And, and those types of things, then that has an effect on how we react to our team and what we tell our team to do. And coaches are not immune to this. And so often we take care of other people. Like you said, those become our kids. They're like our family and we care about them. But who's taking care of us? And, and that's one thing that everybody wants to know. Hey, how can, I, how can I relate this to my team? How can I help my athletes out? That's great. But also what helps them helps you also. So we have to walk that. Why do we watch film at night? Well, because we think the other coach is doing the same thing and we got to keep up with them. We have to be better prepared than them. And, you know, I, I think we've seen that in this COVID thing that I, I think a lot of the D1 guys I've talked to, they don't mind not being at camps every single weekend, you know, <laughs> but they don't feel guilty about it either because nobody else is there either. So it's not like, well, I have to go because so-and-so is going to be there. And we have to be seen also. So it's not the keeping up with the Joneses. And I, and I think that, you know, hopefully that's a positive that comes out of this is coaches have had a chance to recharge a little more, you know, over the summer. So I think that, you know, what's good for the players is also good for the coaches. And, and coaches have to take care of yourselves and understand that the, the mental health of you is, import, is as important as the mental health of the players. Yeah, and a few things that have helped me. The first one is just about mindset. You know, we hear this all the time, like focus on the process. But seriously, focusing not so much on the outcomes and, and treating wins, trying to treat wins and losses the same in terms of how you evaluate the game, what your, pro, your, your process is following the game, uh, and not riding that, that roller coaster of emotions as much as possible. Now, granted, depending on where you coach, the community you're in, the level you coach, that could be harder or easier to do. You know, if you're under the scrutiny and, and you know, you, gotta, you lose two games and you're going to the grocery store Sunday morning and you're going to have 15 people asking you what happened, well, it's going to be harder on you than somebody who's in a different environment. There, there, there's no doubt about it. But I think focusing on that process and then also understanding that I don't know if it's necessarily in every case a bad thing that you don't fully embrace the win and, and, and you immediately do start thinking about the next thing. Because I think the reason we coach is we love, it's not so much the win, it's the pursuit of it. Like we like the work, right? We actually enjoy it. That's also why I think we, we put in so much time, but I think it's, there's that subtle change or, or, or twist of, of your mindset about how you look at it has helped has certainly helped me. Do you think that that's a valid way of, of uh, dealing with those feelings? Absolutely, because there's only so much you can control. And you can control the process. You can control how you view that. And, and again, to that point, it's not bad to you know, have that win and then start moving on. But if you have that loss, let that go too and move on. But we agonize in that. And again, you know, for the loss – generally as a coach who do we blame ourselves right because that's what we do you know and, and how we weren't prepared enough and to do this so again 
just not beating ourselves up. And those people in the store, like, you know, and again, easier said than done. Don't get me wrong because, you know, but again, what do they know? You know, and, and what, what do they see? You know, and you're not going to go in the store and say, hey, you know, I saw that landscaping job you did last week. That kind of sucked. Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, like, like we would never do that to somebody else, but everybody feels they have the right to tell that to us or give their opinion. And, th and that comes with the territory. And I tell you what, it, it, as you know, coaching hockey is a great gig. Like, it, it, it's wonderful. And, and I've been very blessed to be able to do that. But also, if we take those things personally, that's the tough thing. And, and we do because, you know, we give everything we can to the program. But you're talking about controlling the things you can control. And right. that's the important thing. And understanding. You make such a great point about taking it personal because you're right. I have friends that are accountants and they are different jobs. You know, they don't take their job personal. Right. Uh, but yep. we do because you know what? It is personal because it's not just a job for us. It's our life. We've been doing it since we played as young kids. Then we stopped mm -hmm. playing. We started coaching and you, you invest so much in it. And there's, it's and in many cases for coaches, it's a family effort too. You know, yeah. you're, you're, if you're married, your wife is, is, is contributing so much to, to, to the family to help you. And in many cases, contributing to the program you work for too, and your kids are involved and, um, and, and that instant feedback of success or failure at the end of the night, it's, it, it is so hard not to take it personal. And yeah. I think the, the other thing, you know, we're talking about coaches, but, but I do want to talk about players because there's been a few things that I've found in recent years. And you mentioned that maybe five years ago, you wouldn't have told anybody that, that you had depression and anxiety. And, and I would say that five years ago, I wouldn't have any, had any clue of any of my players who were dealing with any issues, but because we've opened up the lines of communication in our program, I now know that there are several players that would say they have anxiety and anxiety is something that I was totally unfamiliar with. I mean, I know what it feels like to be anxious. There are times when, when I'm anxious, but I wouldn't say, I know that I don't have anxiety. And, and the thing that I've learned from the players and from some research, and my wife teaches elementary school, so you know, they're even talking about anxiety in elementary school for their students. Mm -hmm. And the, the best way that I've come to learn about it is that when, when you have anxiety, you, you may be having an anxiety attack or a panic attack of some sort. You, you know that there's really no reason to be feeling this way, but you can't control it. And you're feeling that mm -hmm. way anyway. And talking to my players, each of them have different ways of how they manage it. Some have no skills or, or any plan. And then the other end of the spectrum, some of them have a very good plan for how they try to be proactive and deal with it. So it's got me thinking about how do we create almost a support group of the players that are having anxiety to share, because I would really like to see the guy with no plan, get some tips from the guy with a great plan. Have you seen anything like that? Or how would you suggest uh, coaches going about tackling something like that? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is just what you're doing. Have that conversation that, you know what, hey, we all deal with this. Right now, a study came out during this COVID time that um, through the months of uh, March to uh, April or April to May, they, they did a survey of U.S. people and 33% of, of the U.S. population 
was showing signs and symptoms of anxiety. And 50% of the 18 to 25 year olds were showing signs of anxiety and depression. And you're exactly right that it happens on a continuum. We're all going to be anxious before a game and that's okay. You know, just like I say, if my dog died, he's 12 years old, my 21 year old son would be depressed. Doesn't mean he has depression. He would be depressed. Some people have anxiety. Some people have anxiety where it happens just like you said, it gets out of control. And to have that conversation, and, and if guys are willing to share with each other, then that becomes that support. You know, I felt this way because chances are when those people feel that way, whether it's anxiety, depression, or those, they don't think anybody else gets it. Nobody else understands how I feel. I'm the only one in this room of 26 guys. No, you're not. There's five other guys that feel the same way. So if you can talk about it and that peer support and just being able to talk about it and understanding that you're not going to be judged, that's the key. And that's why I say we have to have this conversation. And as coaches, you know, we have to look because, you know, how do you handle the situation where a kid comes late to practice, you have a rule, you're going to send him home and he flips out. Okay. And, um, you know, he hollers at you and he's slamming doors and that type of stuff. 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, I would have said, hey, get out of here. Grow up. Come back when you can be an adult. Or do we say, hey, what's going on? You know, because I had that situation with the kid. Hey, what's going on? He's had overslept. You know, my mind, he had a panic attack. And he, he couldn't control it. So we sat and talked. And got him under control. Talk to him about getting some help. You know, it's not okay to do that, but we got to give you some tools to do it. Just like if a kid can't shoot a puck, what do we do? We teach him. We don't just expect him to do it on his own. So we have to send them to counseling services or take them somewhere where they can get those tools. But they also have to know that they're not alone. That um, other guys on the team are struggling, and that comes through conversations. And that comes for for guys looking out for each other. You know, we talk, we're very good at the physical piece. You know, if, if your guys are skating out there preseason and they decide to go out there without their face masks on and somebody takes a puck in the nose, his buddies are probably going to help him out, right? They're going to get him to the trainer. They're going to get him to the ER, okay? Um, but what if that kid says, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, comes back the next day, his nose is still bleeding. It's pointing the other direction. They probably wouldn't saying, hey, let's get this taken care of. Well, what about when they see that kid whose behaviors at home are so different than he normally is or who doesn't want to do anything with anybody and stuff? Do they have a conversation there too about mental health? We have to start treating the mental health like we treat the physical health, you know, and talk about it, you know, because you, I'm going to tell you, you know, every hockey program out there has five, six kids in their room minimum that are dealing with stuff. What are we doing as coaches? You know, if, hey, if we were losing every third period, okay, I tell you what, if we felt like we were out of gas, we would condition them. We'd do the physical thing. You know, you see a kid limping around, you would make sure he got to the training room to get the help. What are we doing with the mental part? Because we know that there, there are people struggling and everybody can help. Just like you got guys in your team that are very strong, but you put everybody on an off-season training program. They can get stronger. The guys that are mentally healthy, they can still improve their mental health, okay? Um, but for the other ones, they need those tools. We need to actively include that in part of our, our training, part of our program. 
that was that, there's a lot there that I want to yeah. dive into there. Uh, the first <laughs> one is I had a I had an aha light bulb moment a couple of years ago. So player comes to the rink. We practice in the morning, and he comes to the rink and he says, "Coach, I I, I don't think I can practice today," and he's he's physically distress you could tell you you know it's in his face but it's also in his body like he was not in a good way and uh I said well what's going on he's like oh I have a I've had an anxiety attack all night I haven't slept I just I don't think I can go now because we have already had the conversation and I know that he has anxiety we've had discussions about it I've taken the time to learn about it as much as I can that's that point you know I was like okay and I, at that moment, and you made the reference to the, we're good at the physical, how I felt about it at the moment is like, well, if I had a player come in and say, I have a separated shoulder, then I would say, okay, well, you can't practice today. And that's the thought. It, it came into my mind really quickly and it was gone. It was like a split second thought as I was talking to the player. Then I just said, okay, well, all right, well, you, you shouldn't practice. You're going to have to take the day off. And, but where, well, where are you going and who's going to be there and what's the plan here? So we got all those details in, in check and I said, okay, as soon as I get off the ice, I'm going to call you and see what's going on. And, and I, and I remember thinking even a year earlier or two years earlier, I would have maybe handled it in a way where I said, well, you know what? I think practice would be the best thing for you. Just put on your equipment, get out there. And if it's not going well, just let me know. We'll, we'll you know, we'll talk about it then kind of thing. And, and what I found, what I learned there was, first of all, he went home. He was fine. The next day, he was unbelievable, in a great spirit. He's a good player, and but our relationship um, really, you know, it was positive before that, but it, we became way more connected after that. And I have the feeling like he would go through a wall if I asked him to, and and I believe that's because he knows I have his best interests in mind. And I think that going to the, the player support group could have the same sort of impact for team building and connection between them. So if they, if, if they open up and are willing to share and there's no judgment and, and there's reciprocal sharing and this vulnerability loop is connected, I think that you'd see uh, a whole, whether the guys with anxiety and then the guys without having the empathy and understanding each other, I think it's a huge opportunity for team building and team chemistry. Well, again, you, again, you said some things there <laughs> that let's make this a seven hour podcast because, <laughs> um, but, but a couple of things real quick is you had that conversation with that kid. So you knew that kid, that's number one. So now, now you can handle that situation. And number two, you created an environment where he felt comfortable telling you how he felt. Because a lot of guys, because we're macho, we're supposed to be super tough and all that, um, you know, and, and women athletes are the same, you know, they're tough, like this is a tough sport and, and athletes are tough that we don't want to talk about those because those are considered weak. I tell you what, that kid telling you that there's no more strength and courage than being able to say that that's tough. That, that's not weakness you know so you, you've created that and, and we have to get to know our players and and the whole thing about, hey, I think this will be better for you. I thought that way for a long time. And I was just thinking about that recently. And that's where I've always said, I want to go back and start my coaching career again. 
because I, I'd be better because I wasn't a good coach because I did those things. I, I remember the number of times I told guys, hey, when you come here, leave everything outside the room. You can't do that. Like, if a kid's got this, it, they, they can't just leave it. Why didn't I leave my stuff outside the room on game day so I, I won't blow up at the team or won't blow up at the ref? Well, because you can't do that. But we expect kids to do it. Just give us this hour, you know, instead of understanding how they're feeling. And maybe the best thing is to take the day off and to create that space. Theo Fleury has a great podcast. He talks about his stuff, but he also says, we talk about mental health more than we ever have, yet suicide rates are always are higher than they have. Because we just talk about it, but then we don't follow it up with action. We don't create those groups like you're talking about, that peer support group, or we constantly talk about it. So that kid feels safe coming and talking to you. Because we talk about it, but we still don't know if the coach has never talked about it. Is that coach going to judge me or not? Is he doing this because the athletic director said they have to do it? So I, I think that's where we have to constantly have that conversation. So our kids will come to us with that stuff. And, and that's, you're right. Now the kid knows you care about him and you better understand that kid. And that's what it's about. And I think you're right. I think where we are as a, as a, as a body of coaches across all sports and all levels, I would say, I'd like to think that every single coach recognizes that mental health is something we should be talking about and something we should be aware of. The next step is how do we put some things into action to actually improve and, and support our athletes and ourselves. And I think that there's two things that I want to bring up that I've done that have been successful. So hopefully if somebody's listening, they can take it and run with it and make it their own. The first one is just communicating because when you, when you're in a relationship with somebody, player, coach, you know, employee, boss, spouse, whatever. Uh, and you have, an, you have this ongoing dialogue of your relationship. It's just an ongoing conversation. And sometimes there's, especially in the player coach one, there can be gaps. As a coach, you're, you're dealing with 25 people plus support staff plus, you know, you know, administration. You have a lot of people to communicate with on a daily basis. Sometimes it's not daily. And, and you don't end up speaking to every person every day. Actually, more often than not, you don't probably. So when you're in an exchange of communication that can stretch over days or weeks, I think when there's a gap in communication, the, there's somebody that is, that is waiting to be communicated with. They fill that gap with something in their mind, right? And it's usually not positive. I think they're filling that gap in communication with negative thoughts whatever that might be. Oh, coach isn't talking to me because of this, or man, he skipped me on that shift in the second period. And, and I, I don't know why he did that, but we haven't talked about it. So maybe it's, he doesn't like me or I did something wrong. Don't let them fill those communication gaps with negative thoughts. Uh, that, that's one that that's hard to do, but I think is really important. The other one is, and I took this right from first, I read the urban Meyer book above the line. And then, I, and then I started following Tim and Brian Kite, who uh, have the E plus R equals O. I don't know if you've heard of this. So the e is, I have not. Okay, so E, it's a mathematical equation. E is the event, right? So you don't have any control over the event. It's, the R is your response. So E, the event, plus R, your response, equals or determines the O, the outcome. 
The only yep. thing in that equation you have control over is your response. You have zero control over what the events. Events just happen. Now it's how do you respond to that event that, that will do that will impact how the O, the outcome is. So it's actually also, a, I think it comes from like a stoic principle also of an event is just an event. You get to decide yep. whether it's positive or negative. It's, it just, event just is, it just is what it is. Now you get to decide if it's a good or a bad thing. Like that loss for you at the moment felt bad. Now you're saying that was the best loss I ever had. So I think trying to build some of those skills, some of those mindset skills, some building some resiliency, at least it's been helpful for me. I think it's been helpful for some of my players. Uh, again, absolutely. Um, I heard it a different way from my therapist, but you're exactly right. The event, and then it's how I respond. So, so for me, a kid shows up late for the bus, it's because he's disrespectful to me. No, he's not, but that was my response. Well, if that's my response, what do you think my behavior is or the outcome? I holler at him instead of the response of, oh, you screwed up. You know, I, but again, I would take it personal. So that's a great one. <clears throat> you know, the whole thing about the communication so they don't make up stories. My wife always would say this one to me. I didn't like it, but I use it a lot now. Is that a true story? Is that a good story? Or is that a true story? You know, <laughs> coach, coach doesn't, you know, coach doesn't like me. Is that a good story or is that true? What are the facts? that you have that make that true because it's not, we make that stuff up. But again, you know, where did you, where did you learn the, you know, E plus R equals O? You, you did some studying, right? You, you looked up these books, you know, back when I started coaching 30 years ago, we certainly didn't have strength coaches, but we all knew that it was important, right? Um, that our guys conditioned. So what did we do? We'd see what other guys were doing. We did our homework. We, you know, we put a program together. We're, we weren't professional strength coaches, but we had to give our kids something because we felt that was important. We did the research. I think it's the same thing now with mental health that, um, you know, the, the more we can understand what does anxiety look like? What does depression look like? So when we see it, because the more we educate ourselves, the more we'll notice it. And when we see that in kids, we can have that conversation. And if we have that conversation constantly, it doesn't come across as, oh, he's singling me out. It's because I care. You know, I mean, every time after I give a talk to a team, you know, I, I tell them now as the coach, you have permission to say, hey, remember when Mark came and talked? You know, I'm seeing that in you, so I'm concerned. But it opens up that conversation. So anything we can do to open the conversation, then that's what's going to help the kids, you know, because ultimately they're the ones that have to come forward and they have to admit it. Because again, sometimes you can say that to that kid and he's not going to admit it, but eventually he, he or she will. So then they can get the help, but you know, educate yourself. We need to educate ourselves just like you did. And those are great examples. We share those with the kids. If we can do it constantly, we don't just strength train before the season, right? We generally strength train during the season, a couple times a week. We condition X number of times a week. Okay. Physical, physical, physical. What are we doing mentally? What are we setting out time aside to do the E plus R equals O? Let's talk about that because it's important. That sends the message that the mental health is important the more we cover it. Too many times we do it to check it off the box. We have to talk about mental health. We don't have to have it anymore. Well, no. You know, it's not like, hey, we gave them a lifting program. Now it's up to them. No, we monitor them. We follow them. We make sure they do it. Same thing with the mental health piece. Well, Mark, there's so many seeds of, uh, of new conversations that I think have come out of our talk today. 
we don't have seven hours. But <laughs> if somebody, a player or a coach or a leader of any, any kind that, that's listening and they want to connect because I know you're so generous with, with your time and willing to speak to anybody. And I know you, you do a lot of work of speaking to college teams and, uh, around the country. Um, what's the best way, you know, for, for someone to be connected with you? My email is mawick23 at gmail.com. Um, you know, they can contact me. And anything I can do just to have this conversation and, and to share, I, I think that's the important thing is that we just have the conversation. And then when the kids have trouble, kids have issues, we point them to the right resources. You know, we have counseling services on campus. If they're not comfortable with that, we help them line something up. But, you know, it, it's not, as coaches, it's not our problem to fix. But I think it's our responsibility to have the conversation. Well, that's awesome just that you're willing to provide your contact info like that. And for sure, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I can connect them with you as well. And, uh, you know, this is, this is amazing. You know, there's a phrase I love, leave the woodpile higher. You, you know, you are, you are leaving the game in a better place every day. So I can't thank you enough. And I can't thank you for joining me today. Well, and, and I can't thank you enough just for having this conversation because, you know, it's been a scary one for a lot of people and it's not, but it's, uh, I, I think it's, uh, it can be a tough conversation, but I tell you what, those conversations about mental health with your players are the most important conversations you can have. And, and you're a great example of doing exactly the right thing. So keep up the great work. And I really appreciate your podcast and having me on here today. All right. Thanks, Mark.